Hello and welcome to the Nutmeg Podcast, where we aim to bring together different commentators, experts and personal finance enthusiasts to tackle the topics to help inspire you to feel financially confident, investment savvy and empowered to reach your goals. I'm Kat Mann, Savings and Investment Specialist here at Nutmeg. And I'm Gary Shepherd, Investment Writer also here at Nutmeg. In this episode, we'll be discussing all things bonds. What are they? Why invest in them? And why they're so important to have in a diversified portfolio. Cast any preconceptions you may have about bonds to one side, because there's a lot more to them than you might think. Yes, uh, we'll also be joined by our very own Brad Holland, Director of Investment Strategy at Nutmeg, who will be talking us through bond markets today. Why both bonds and equities have somewhat struggled so far in 2022, and revealing what bonds tell us about the overall health of the global economy. If you like what you hear, please like, share, and subscribe. And as ever, do feel free to contact us with anything you'd like us to talk about on future episodes. No, don't switch off. It won't be boring. Honest. Uh, bonds are the yin to equities yang, bringing balance to markets as essential elements of the investment universe. If you've seen Toy Story, well, it's Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Buzz's equities, bold, attention-seeking, with aspirations to soar high to infinity and beyond, but also prone to fall into the occasional crisis of confidence. For Bonds, read Woody, maybe slightly old-fashioned and unheralded, yet the most reliable narrator of the greater mood and direction, the emotional core of the story. So what are bonds? Well, they're best thought of as an IOU between the lender and the borrower. They're just like loans in which the terms, payback date and interest rate are spelled out in a legal document. Lenders come in many different forms, governments, corporates, municipalities, states and finance projects too. So if Woody is the slightly more old fashioned, we're going to talk about bonds. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a history lesson. Bear with me. Bonds, the story of them, actually goes back as far as 2400 BC. That's several thousand years before cash, equities, and yes, even Bitcoin and NFTs. In 1899, a tablet was discovered at Nepal, an ancient Sumerian city in what is now Iraq, which shows an inscription guaranteeing the payment of grain with a reimbursement if the lender failed to make a repayment. Four witnesses' seals were impressed onto the tablet, giving it a mark of authority. In other words, the promise was literally carved in stone. Fast forward to 12th century Venice and the city-state's government began issuing war, bo- war bonds known as prestiti, although do let me know if I've got that wrong. These were perpetuities paying a fixed rate of 5%. But it wasn't until 1693 when we saw the birth of the first official government bond issued by none other than our very own Bank of England to raise money to fund a war against France. Uh, so what do we mean by government bonds? Well, the government is an issuer of its debt as a form of security, something any investor can buy, which will mature over a number of years when, say, a decade later, the government guarantees to pay back the initial sum. So what's in it for the buyer? Well, the government also promises to pay a certain amount of interest as a percentage on top. We call that the coupon rate. A bond's yield is the return its holder can expect from the bond's coupon or interest payments. There aren't always that enticing a figure, but we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So bringing it all back to the present day... Uh, Why are bonds seen as an investment? 
That's a really good question, Gary, because on the surface, owning, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, government debt might not seem like a brilliant investment decision. But just because you own a bond doesn't necessarily mean you have to keep it locked away until the date of maturity. You can, of course, trade bonds on a secondary market. The actual value of the bond depends on a couple of different factors, such as when will it mature? What's the bond's rating? And a little bit on ratings, if you'll indulge me again. Uh, there are many different rating agencies out out there whose job it is to rate the credit worthiness of a bond and the lower the rating the more risk there is that the bond could actually default with the lender not able to pay back the money it's previously guaranteed right okay that makes sense i i, I think it's fair to say the u.s government for example is unlikely to ever fail on paying its debts which is why its debt is rated triple a or double a plus by the likes of s p moody's and fitch who are the major ratings agencies um, a less financially stable country, such as, say, Argentina, will see its ratings in the seas, uh, while Russian debt is not even currently rated, given its conflict with Ukraine. Um, government defaults are rare, but they can happen during times of crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And when governments do default, it is definitely headline news, as we saw with the relatively recent European debt crisis, when several of the Eurozone member states, namely Greece, Portugal, Ireland, Spain and Cyprus, were all unable to repay or refinance their government debt or to bail out their indebted banks. During this economic crisis in sort of 2015, Greece missed a staggering 1.6 billion euro payment to the International Monetary Fund, making it the first developed nation to miss such a payment. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I, I've missed a few uh, credit card payments in my time, but uh, that's quite a figure. <laughs> Absolutely. And perhaps a little mean of me to pick an extreme example. I think it's important to remember when investors tend to talk about government bonds, they're more likely referring to the more stable so-called safe havens. You talked about the US. Well, US debt is referred to as treasuries. UK debt is referred to as gilt or the German debt's bonds. These, uh, the yield on these may be low, but the risk of default is also pretty minimal. They're kind of safe. Okay. I mean, if we're talking about investable bonds universe, then I guess we must also talk about corporate debt. Uh, that's bonds issued by companies. The most stable or investment grade bonds are those companies perceived to have less least risk of default and so will receive the highest ratings. At the other end of the scale are so-called high yield or junk bonds issued by companies that may have less ability to generate cash flow to, to pay operating expenses and financing costs uh, with a higher risk of defaulting. Um, why high yield? Well, uh, these are more likely to default so they must pay a high yield to the holder, the bondholder to compensate the investor for that risk. Yes, uh, bond default doesn't always mean you'll lose all of your investment. You'll most likely and often receive a portion of it back. But it's still not an ideal scenario, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, so in, in the risk of getting too bogged down in detail, um, let's talk now briefly as to why bonds are traded in investment markets. While you may not think you hold them, any pension or managed investment that you may hold, including those from Nutmeg, for example, will most likely hold bonds alongside equities. After all, uh, Woody and Buzz get up to their best adventures together, right? Absolutely. I personally remember with great fondness that removal van chase scene from the original Toy Story, but yeah. that's possibly me showing my age. 
Bringing it back to investments, investors can buy new issues of bonds as they come onto the market. As we spoke about earlier, there's a secondary market. As with all investments, supply and demand will determine the price, though it's worth noting with bonds that prices and yields are inversely related, meaning that one goes up, the other goes down, and vice versa. We'll get into the reasons of that later when Brad joins us. Yeah, many investors actually trade bonds these days through funds, Uh, for example, mutual funds or exchange traded funds, that's ETFs, uh, the group together, several of the same types of bonds together in one package. No matter how you hold them, the good thing about bonds is that historically they have behaved very different from equities. There is uh, what is called in technical terms a negative correlation between the two asset classes. In other words, when one's flying higher, the other's generally grounded. Well, now we're going back to Toy Story. What is it that Woody used to say when Buzz is showing off his wings? That wasn't flying, it was falling in style. Oh, yes, exactly. Uh, Bonds and equities are the chalk and cheese of investment markets. For example, in 2008, when global equity markets took a tumble, bonds generally held firm. Though there was a wobble for high yield as investors feared defaults in a period of exceptional uncertainty. Now, I hate to put a bit of a dampener on things, but equities and bonds have both struggled this year. Uh, Yes, unfortunately, that is right. Uh, We can talk to Brad soon about the reasons behind this. Uh, But while bonds, bonds are generally considered to be among the least risky of investment, asset classes, it's fair to say that bond markets can be shaken by economic fears around inflation. Uh, Also, when central banks like the Bank of England raise interest rates, bond prices tend to fall and vice versa. Right. Well, as you said before, bonds are the emotional core of markets. Yes, yes, very true. I mean, the fascinating thing is bonds have historically been used by investors and economists as generally very reliable indicators of how well economies are doing now and how they might fare over time. I mean, we're not talking crystal balls or tarot cards, but so-called yield curves, uh, these being charts which, which plot bond rates Uh, with bonds of equal credit quality, but differing maturity rates, bear with me, Uh, these are seen uh, as a primary indicator of forthcoming economic expansion or recession. Gary, I see you're leading us down a technicalities path (laughs) here. So uh, I don't think we should be necessarily going into the depth of that detail right now. But it does make a good time to introduce today's guest, Brad Holland. He's Nutmeg's Director of Investment Strategy. Hi, Brad. Hello there. So, Brad, we've just been talking about bonds and as a useful measure of sort of forecasting the health of the global economy. How does this work? And is this something that you as an investment manager really rely on? Well, there are a load of ways to answer that question, Kat. Firstly, bond yields can be influenced by what central banks uh, are doing or expected to do in the near term or the medium term. Um, they can be influenced by by markets too. For example, if stock markets are, are doing very well, the opportunity cost of bonds also rises. Opportunity cost? Uh, what do you mean by that, Bert? Well, the opportunity cost is the, the benefit you forego from not being invested in the stronger stock market. So, so any investment funds that can move between stocks and bonds, such as a, a multi-asset portfolio, needs to be offered a little more to keep its capital invested in bonds. This is often referred to as the, the required cost of capital. 
bond issuers are required, inverted commas, you know, to, to offer a little more return on their debt if they need to attract investors away from the, the outperforming equity markets. So if stocks are doing very well, that's likely because economies are booming. And this is when central banks want to raise interest rates. And raised interest rates often lead to high bond yields. Uh, is that right? That's right. That's uh, full marks. Uh, alternatively, um, bond valuations and yields uh, can be set by a simple mismatch of supply and demand. So if central banks set out to buy a load of bonds off banks to, to boost the liquidity of banks, then, then that extra demand for bonds increases their price and, and reduces the, the the yield of the bond. And that's why bond yields move lower and lower after the global financial crisis in 2008-2009 and again during the COVID crisis. This is the, the quantitative easing or the QE listeners would have heard us talk about a lot over the years. So, so going back to, to Kat's original point of forecasting that the health of the economy, I did say there are a lot of ways to answer that question. And when we look at the level of yields across all the different types of bond yields and bond markets, we, we, we need to be very careful how, how we interpret what bond valuations are telling us. Um, there's not just one bond market. Remember, there, there are short-term bonds, there are long-term bonds. There are bonds with inflation protection and ones without. There are bonds backed by government taxation and, and bonds backed by, by company profits and so on. Thanks, Brad. And thanks for not forgetting about my original question. Uh, it's clear that bonds have had a fairly poor start to 2022 so far. Why are they falling when they usually have an inverse correlation with equities? Well, bonds have had a bad year, and really for two reasons. And the first is that the, the interest rate expectations being built into bond yields have risen quickly. Uh, only last year, bond markets were, were not pricing for much in the way of cash rate rises. But now they, they're expecting cash rates in the US, for example, to, to move from what was 0.25% last year's level to around 3.5% next year. Now, the second reason for the recent poor bond market performance is that central banks have stopped buying bonds off banks. So, so the excess demand, if you like, has, has disappeared. And that, that dampens prices and, and raises the required cost of capital. Now, remember, the way bond valuations work, the higher the yield, the lower the price. So coming in, how are we to interpret rising bond yields today? Um, what are they telling us, Brad? Well, they're telling us that after almost 15 years of, of bank sector weakness following the, the global financial crisis and after the 2020-21 the COVID shock, central bank monetary policy is being normalised. And, and the required long-term cost of capital is not below 1% where it has been for all these years. It revolves more around 3.5%. So that's what rising yields are telling us. The world is normalising. Now, I've not even mentioned the, the, the inflation word yet. And part of the, the normalization is that inflation is now not stuck at sub 2%. Now, central banks were never comfortable with such low inflation, and they're not thrilled either with 9% inflation, but they don't think 9% is here for very long. I have to say central banks are not alone about not being thrilled about 9% inflation. So if we're looking at bonds and we're looking at it from the perspective of an investment portfolio, why is it so important, do you think, to hold bonds within a portfolio? 
Well, uh, a, a balanced multi-asset investment portfolio incorporates assets that, that provide income as well as growth. And, and, and that some assets specialize in one or the other. Some provide a bit of both. And bonds are known as fixed income assets as in the secret really is in the name, fixed income. And bonds are known for the ballast of income they provide to, to steady the ship as it sails up and down the, the tidal growth surge of equity markets. It's kind of sorry about that odd analogy, but equity return volatility is a bit like the ebb and flow of the, the deep blue sea. Bond returns are meant to be more like a lake than a sea. Now, as I've said, the, the, the problem bonds have faced this year is that their return over recent years have been more about capital growth than, than income. Since the, the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009, central banks have brought so many bonds that their, their yield, their, their income generating capacity, if you like, almost hit zero. So, so we're experiencing the normalization process where bonds will again uh, provide a decent yield, giving that income ballast to a broad uh, multi-asset portfolio. Hmm. Okay, so Brad, so how do investors like yourself actually go about trading bonds? Well, enough, Meg, we hold all our assets through exchange-traded funds or, or ETFs, and, and we can choose to hold lower maturity or, or longer maturity bond ETFs rather than the, the market average maturity ETF. Or, or we could choose to hold U.S. Treasury bonds as well as or instead of U.K. gilts. We can change the mix of our company bond exposure by, by changing the mix of investment grade or high-yield corporate bonds. We've been holding lower maturity bonds because these perform less badly when, when their yields rise. But it, it sounds like you could see that bonds had the potential to perform, to perform poorly this year all along. Well, we haven't sold bonds altogether, even though you know, we saw this sell-off coming, because to sell all bonds in, our, in all of our risk levels would be to dramatically change the risk settings of the portfolios. And we, we set strict guidelines on how far each risk level can be moved away from its long-term benchmark. We've, uh, we've held U.S. Treasuries alongside gilts because Treasuries became less overvalued during QE than, than did gilts. But we, we trade bonds the same way we trade equity ETFs in, in accordance with our investment guidelines and within a, a disciplined decision-making process. Thanks very much, Brad. I uh, just want to chuck one final question in, if I may. Are you seeing any innovation in the bond market? What does the future have in store uh, for bonds as an investing class? Well, the, the green bond movement is, is one recent innovation. Uh, I, we, we're not entirely convinced that the actual asset meets the expectation just yet, so we're, we're steering clear of it, but uh, for now anyway. But, but increasingly, government bonds, governments are trying to issue tranches of debt of bonds to, to finance dedicated green initiatives. Um, I guess another innovation might be the fallen angel category of, of high-yield bonds, which is uh, which debt of companies that were once investment-grade credits but have been downgraded by rating agencies to, to high-yield bond status. But in, in the main, these are, are better companies than the average junk bond universe, and so uh, they offer a kind of hybrid company bond with a, a better risk-reward trade-off than, than normal high-yield bonds. Thank you, Brad. Um, I think we could we could go on for a hell of a long time talking about uh, bonds, but it, it is a very complicated subject matter, and um, uh, we'll, so we'll we'll 
leave it there and perhaps we'll follow up again in another podcast in the future but uh, thanks very much for for coming in and and discussing bonds with us today absolute pleasure and thanks for the invite and thank you to all of our listeners remember if you like what you hear please do share and subscribe and feel free to contact us via the nutmeg social media channels with any ideas or themes you'd like us to talk about on future episodes until next time thanks very much for listening As with all investing, your capital is at risk and the value of your portfolio with Nutmeg can go down as well as up and you may get back less than you invested. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance and the topics discussed on this podcast are intended for informational purposes and should not be relied on for financial advice.